HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's uh, May 17th, 2016. We've got a special show today. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. In the studio, we have some notorious members of the beer world who collaborated on a new book, Food and Beer. Sitting with me is Evil Twins owner and founder, brewmaster Yeppe Yarnit Birch. Oh, is that how I say it, buddy? Uh, <laughs> and Daniel Burns of Taurus and Luxus. So, but you guys came together. We well, say your name out loud, Yeppe. I never know how to say it. I do that every time I come here. <laughs> Yeppe, Yannick, Bielsen. Love that stuff, man. Daniel, yeah, say know. your name. Daniel Burns. And we got Kat from Hill Street News. How are you, Kat? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? So this is this is a cool show. You know, you, you guys have been working together for a while, and uh, your book's out, Food and Beer. And um, you know, Taurus came on the map the minute you opened, and Luxus got a Michelin star. Yeah. So um, it, I really like this book, and we're going to talk about. You know some of the, the the ideas you have behind it, some of the flavors and, and pairings. But first, tell us so you had a, a launch party last night at Tourist and Luxus. So, so tell us what what that party was, and in terms of what you serve for food and and beer, because that gives people a good sense of of what you guys are doing. Yeah, we did um, a three course menu last night, and uh, the price included uh, obviously the book, uh, so people could uh, come and and uh, see that for the first time. Uh, yeah, we did uh, actually. All three dishes were from the book. So we did um, a sagamite dish, like a fresh cornmeal with spicy pork. Uh, and then we did, um, we sort of do like a Sunday roast, like the English uh, pub style thing uh, for the main course. And then we did a uh, uh, bay leaf ice cream swirled with vanilla ice cream uh, for the dessert. Well, I love that dish. It's almost like the, the one with the cornmeal. It's almost like polenta with yeah. like a bolognese on right, top. Right, right. That's exactly what we're going for with that. That's a great one. Yeah. And, and what beers were you guys serving last night? We did the Ryan and the Gosling for uh, dessert. Uh, and then we did um, Rodenbach Grand Cru with the main course. And uh, with the pork, we did uh, Peeper, uh, main beer cook. And one thing I like about the book is it really it does tell a story of, of you, Yeppe, and, and you, Daniel. 
So I, I'm not going to ask you guys too, many, too much about your backgrounds because I feel like I, I, I read it all in the book. So you've got to buy the book, Food and Beer. But, um, you know, how, what was the process of writing a book for you guys? Because you, you've been doing, you know, beer since the, the 90s, Yepe, and, mm. you know, you had a beer store and, and you came to America. Um, you know, what was the process of writing the book? Because I know Joshua David Stein is a great, great writer. And yeah, he was a... I don't know, so-called ghostwriter, not really, because his name is on the book. Uh, but he he was the guy who actually wrote our words down on paper. Um, I mean, it it was a fun process. It was it was it was good experience. Um, when they when Fidon approached us, Fidon is the publisher that put it out. They approached us last year or a couple of years ago. Yeah. I had no plans of writing a book. I mean, it wasn't even in my mind because you know we had just got started up and you know we wanted to. You know, get the place up and running and, and do good. But they approached us. They liked. They went to eat a couple of times at Luxus, and they loved it so much. And one day I met them at Luxus, and they were like, "Do you guys want to write a book?" And we were like, uh, "I don't know. Maybe we <laughs> <Think> do." So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like with Yepi. We, we, we've had you on the show a few times, so we, we kind of know your story, and and you're one of our favorite guests. But for Daniel, reading the book, I really I feel like I really got to know you uh-huh. in, in a way that I didn't. So let's talk about some, some of the some of the things that, that you've translated from your life in, into the the restaurant which which you have in the book. So, so some of the recipes, like talk us through some of the the, the early recipes in the book because I feel like I could take your book now and 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 have an awesome pub menu. Yeah, the, the uh, I grew up in Canada and then uh, I went to Europe. So that was my that's my main training for for the chef uh, chef part of my life. And uh, so I want the food in, in Tours to be sort of a reflection of that. So some Danish stuff with the rye bread and then some also some pretty classic. Rug brood. Rug, yeah. um, Is that how I say it? <laughs> <laughs> Can you say it, Daniel? Uh, no. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then English pub stuff, like Welsh rare bit, uh, the Sunday roast, as I mentioned. Um, so... Uh, and then there's things like from chefs think a lot about childhood things, childhood memories, and uh, things like fiddlehead ferns that uh, I grew up in Nova Scotia. So there's tons of those up there in, in Maine and Nova Scotia. So, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, cooking is, is, you know, based so much on your experiences in life and where you've traveled, and that's how you get inspiration. Um, and most of all, especially for the restaurant, is seasons, too. You know, you want to cook what's seasonally available and... I think you see it in in the luxus desserts. You know, we in the winter time we don't use raspberries if they're not growing. You know, you, you lean towards like the root vegetables and things like that. So one thing I learned from the book is I didn't realize how much of a market shopper you were. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I always thought it was cliche. You know, before I moved to New York, I'm like, oh yeah, all the chefs go around the Union Square Market and stuff. But I'm, I go three four times a week now, and uh, you see all the other guys who are really at the restaurants who are really trying to try to do something. We're all we're all bump into each other five times, say goodbye five times on the, on the market each week. Did you tell me one time that the serious guys actually do their shopping in their shift jacket or something? Yeah, like that? yeah. <laughs> that's kind of funny. <laughs> it's hilarious to see the guys who wear the jacket at all the fine establishments in Manhattan. That's right. <laughs> I mean, there's some guys that come with like their bikes and their chef coats, and they're just buying like onions and yeah, yeah. They're just there to be seen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It sounds like you're getting a lot of stuff there. Um, you know, also like, so I, you're you have like foragers and, and local farmers. Tell us about yeah. like Annie Novak and, yeah. and your forager. Evan. I mean, I mean, I'm a, I was ex, uh, as skeptical as anyone about 
Brooklyn rooftop farms, you know, but Annie has Eagle Street right in Greenpoint. And uh, I mean, some of the best radishes I taste every year uh, she grows and herbs. And, you know, obviously they, they can't grow. The, the soil is only so deep, so they can't grow certain things. But, uh, yeah, it's great to work with people who are so close by. And uh, Evan, so Evan Strusinski, uh, the, the Gray Noma book pretty much came out straight after I moved to New York. Uh, and so uh, Renee was doing a bunch of dinners, and, uh, of course, I wanted to help out. So, But there was one dinner at Co. with, like, the most important journalist of anywhere, and uh, he, he was going to do f- seven or eight courses. So we needed to find the products that they use at Noma. So uh, I bumped in, somehow got connected with Evan. He was pretty much just doing mushrooms at the time. And so I asked him, you know, can you find these sea plants and all this stuff? So he always um, reminds me that I sort of, uh, you know, put him where he is. Now. He, he supports himself by foraging now. He supplies these guys at Blanca and all, all the restaurants. So, uh He's sort of, uh, I don't know whether I cursed him or not, but uh, <laughs> that's his reality these days. How far does he go for you? Like, I mean, he, regionally. He, yeah, he migrates north. He's, he lives in the off-season in Philadelphia, and then so he, he forages around there now and then migrates like Vermont and Maine as the season progresses. So, so right now he still drives the, the stuff in, and then um, later on he'll just ship it in the mail. Yep. Is this everything you'd hoped for, you know, when you came to New York and you wanted to open your own place? Had you asked me four years ago, what do you hope for? I wouldn't have I wouldn't have dreamed of this, I think. Um, it's more than I've hoped for, actually. Uh, you know, when I moved here, I didn't know anybody. Evil Twin was a very small brand, and we pretty much started all over. I mean, if you can talk about the American dream, I think we are a good example of it. We had... We didn't have a lot when we moved over, and you know now we we're doing really good. So I hadn't hoped for it, but looking back at it, it's it's been fun. That's for sure. So you you guys actually met at Beer Street in Brooklyn. Tell us about how you guys met. Yeah, um, well, yep, it was curating the beer program for Noma, and when he sort of gave notice and explained that he's going to Brooklyn to to you know move the family and everything, um, they were like, ah, that sucks, but. Uh, you should say hi to this guy, Daniel Burns, if you meet him. And he was like, well, probably not going to meet him. <laughs> but uh, I'll keep an eye out for that. And uh, so Lorcan Precious, uh, I'm not sure if he's still partner at Beer Street. but I, think, uh, I heard he left, actually. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. So he, he and I played basketball together uh, in uh, in Brooklyn here in Greenpoint. And uh, he, so he, had, I think he invited you yeah. like your first week or something. We, we lived close to it, and I started, yeah. I started going there to, you know, do my beer shopping. And he was like, "Hey, maybe you want to come by and do an event one day?" I was yeah. like, "All right, I'm new in the city, so why not?" Yeah, it was super early on, and yeah. and so uh, uh, Lorcan said, "Hey, you know, I'm very excited about having Yepe. We should do some food." He, I think it was the first time he ever did food there too. You know, he. Yeah. he so uh, I was like, "Okay, cool. I'll make some." Who's uh, this? <laughs> 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 so I made it just that, and that's how we met. <laughs> What's that? It's, it's a, yeah. It's like a, it's like a chicken salad with uh, mayonnaise. It's a very Danish, old Danish thing, and yeah. you know, I grew up on it. And to to go to a little beer store in in Brooklyn. Three weeks after I moved here and get Hunts's day, it was kind of like, hey, <laughs> the hell make this? <laughs> Can I see the guy? Who made <laughs> what what beer are we drinking? This is really good. Uh, it's an Oxbow from I think they're from Maine, right? They're definitely from up north. It's uh, a saison with rice. Um, I haven't had it before. It's yeah. a cool label, actually. To- toasted rice. Yeah, we've done that on the pairing for one of the dishes at Lucas. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. Yeah. 
So what did you do? You just grabbed some beers from Taurus? Yeah, yeah I, I just brought them, uh, just went to the cellar and grabbed them. can't come here without beers, Jimmy, right? That's right. <laughs> you know, I, I was at, I had the dinner at Luxus a couple years ago. Yeah. It was really great. Um, you know, how do you pair the beers and, and the food? You know, and it's, it's kind of complex. Well, yeah, it's, it, a lot of people ask us, oh, do you base it on the beer? We do it exact same as sommeliers would. You know, the, the chef makes the dish, and then we think about what's the best beer to pair with it. Uh, we try four or five different ones, and then there's usually like a clear winner, you know, which uh, which one works best. And, um, you know, f- philosophy-wise, sort of with the pairings is sometimes you go comparative flavors, sometimes you go very contrasting things. And I, I think what has proven to be very, uh, most or very interesting is if a dish has, say, five components, the most prominent to the least prominent, Maybe you choose uh, something in the in the lower part that uh, say coriander, and you try to pair with that flavor. So, in some sense, the the pairing works, but you're not exactly sure why at the start. You, you know, it uh, it's not just pairing to the carrot. So what are a couple of the pairings on on the menu? Like for example, tonight at Luxus, do you know what the pairings are? Yeah, the, we do in um, uh, BFM uh, Square Root Two Two Five, and we're doing that with. Um, Saison with uh, the um, we have a beef uh, tongue dish. It's basically like a salad of the spring spring lettuces with uh, pickled green almond vinaigrette and uh, braised beef tongue, thin sliced thinly. And how do those flavors come together? Yeah, it well the the you know it's it's, it's sort of like the sour from the um, the vinaigrette and then a different acidity and, and tartness from the beer. So it's. Uh, Sort of playing with uh, the the different realms of, of sour in, in that in that pairing. In no, it's intense. I know you're up against a lot. And I said so for you guys to be the first Michelin star restaurant with with a beer only kind of program. Right. Um, you know, did you have to fight that? I mean, in other places that you've worked, did did, did anyone else do a, a beer pairing with with a prefix dinner? No, uh, I haven't. I haven't worked anywhere. But uh, the, I think what I was reminded is uh, in the last sort of five or six years, when you have these big, bigger tasting menus around the world, more and more often <clears throat> there's beers thrown in, uh, which mm. I always think those those restaurants, the sommeliers, have access to any wine in the world, you know, and and they're still putting beer in the menu. So. I think that's you know speaks towards um, the validity of it, uh, what we're trying to do, and and most important, we're trying to show the the vastness of the styles of beer that there are, and and the amount of flavors that can be added in to beer, which you simply can't do in the wine wine world. So much based on tradition and everything. You know, in terms of like basic flavors, like the the rug brood. How do you say that, Yuppie? You know. For you guys building your flavors and stuff, and you're talking in the book about bitter and earth and, and, and funk, you know, and you spent time in, in Copenhagen too, Daniel. Mm-hmm. You know, why is that that rye bread so important? You know, and, and what does that do as a flavor? Well, I mean, that's it's the first thing we made in the restaurant. It's I always tell the cooks, you know, that's the first thing they learn how to make, and it's a very foundational thing for the whole place. We we started out just doing meat meat and cheese plates basically with a minimal kitchen and but we we made the rye bread from day one so it that that sort of bit the malt flour is is the really key thing that um the really dark roasted malt flour is the main flavor and then of course the the tradition is based on how sour the the mother is in in Denmark you your grandmother passes the sour down and you make it basic most 
families make it every day or every second day. Okay, from still. the book, what's the pairing that goes with the, the rogue bread, the rye bread? Uh, oh, we have to check it out. <laughs> yep. How to remember? I know. Saison de Pont. Oh, is it? Yeah. And I, I, it's one thing I, I really like that you incorporate some classic. That you have like Rochefort, Saison de Pont, or yeah. some real classic uh, beers. We actually didn't. You know, we had a lot of discussions when we wrote the book how we we're going to set it up, and uh, we actually almost got away from even mentioning uh, a certain beer because that's not what it's about. It's not about saying this beer works with that. We want to talk about that's also why we divided the, the book into flavors because we wanted to talk about styles and flavors instead of you know every other every other beer book you open you know they're like oh you have to drink this with this and you have to and if you can't find that beer what are people going to do you know if you can't get say something to pong you're going to be lost you know so it's important for us to tell that hey this is the, these are the kind of flavors you want to look for in the beer that pairs with this with this food and a good example could be say something to pong but it's not the only one that pairs with that that's great hey we're going to take a short break we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, we got the notorious Yeppe and Daniel talking about their new book, Food and Beer, about Luxus and Tours. So what were you guys saying to you? you know, the process of making of the book, what did you, how many recipes did you want to have in the book, Daniel? Well, they asked us for 50, and I think in total it's about 60, 62. So I got a little excited, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, we, as, as Yeppe said, we didn't plan on this book. Um, we, I, I guess maybe... You know, in the next, in the in, within ten years, I would have wanted to do one, but it was not on my mind at all. You know, and and in terms of the process, normally we would have to do like a book proposal, spend months on that. We basically just had a few meetings, and they said, "Okay, you want to do it? Go do it." So it it really fell on our lap. And uh, so normally, from a restaurant standpoint, you'd have to have like hundred, hundred and fifty recipes, which they clearly knew we didn't since we were so young. So uh, that's why that's why this format. I mean, I, th I still think it's quite, uh, you know, it's a good chunk of of recipes to look at and stuff. So uh, uh, I'm happy with how you know the number and stuff. But. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was important for us, you know, when we got approached and when we started talking about writing this book. As you know, Jimmy, there's so many beer books out there, and I, you know, I have a bunch of them, and I've looked through a bunch of them, and they're 
pretty much all the same. They all start to explain about history. They all start to explain about ingredients. They have homebrewing recipes and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's not what we wanted to do. We didn't want to make just another beer book. This is a cookbook with beer, and it explains what we do at Luxus and Trust, and it explains the philosophy behind it. Because Luxus and Trust, of course, it's important for us, but it's not the only thing, you know. It's also about showing the rest of the world what we do, um, because we are doing something that nobody else is doing at the level that we're doing it at. And I, I always say that my goal is that one day every fine dining restaurant or every restaurant in general, uh, you know, have a have a wine pairing, but they also have a beer pairing you can choose. I don't see any reason they don't have it. I mean, Noma is a good example. Noma, you know, I've been there, you know, I grew up, I've been in Denmark and, you know, I, I know the guys in Noma. I've been there 10 times and I, I always wondered why they didn't do a beer pairing because the food at Noma is, you know, based on the Nordic region and, and by tradition, we only drank beer, you know, back in the days. And, you know, now they have to do a wine pairing and have to go get the wine from Italy and from France because there's no good wine in Denmark, but there's a lot of good beer in the Nordic region. So why don't they at least do a beer pairing next to the wine pairing? So, What, is, what are some of the, the new craft breweries in Denmark? Like, I've had, like, Amager. Uh, yeah, there's probably a lot of new ones. You know, I, I don't <laughs> follow it too closely anymore. Um, I mean, we went through this big beer revolution about 10 years ago. We went from, I think it was like 15 breweries to 120 in five years, um, which is a lot for such a small country. Um, and I know there's still new ones opening up, but I, I can't tell you how many. I think we are at about 130 or 140, and we're only 5 million people, so that would be like having 300 in New York City, so it's quite a lot, actually. Now, the, all, all the ones I've had have been really great, so um, it's. I think you're doing the right thing by having beer with, with your food. Daniel, go, go flip through the book and, and pick out some of the recipes that, that you really like and are proud of, because um, I think you're right, Yeppy. It's nice to see a book that's... I, know, it, I think Daniel's voice really comes out in this book, yeah. and he's the chef and talking about flavors. And while, and while he's flipping the pages, I can name one that I really like. Um, so when when uh, when we uh, when Daniel opened Luxus, um, we Daniel introduced something called flødeboller at Noma, which is a very old tradition that uh, I pretty much grew up on. When I was a kid, every time you went to a kid's birthday, you got this flødeboller, which is kind of like how do you explain that in English? It's like a meringue. It's like a soft meringue with chocolate covered. It's like very foamy, and it's you know it's it's kind of a a cool thing. And you know we talked about it, and and Daniel used to make it at, at Noma. So you know I was like, you should do it here as well. Um, and you can play with flavors. You do you did rhubarb, and you did uh, beetroot and beetroot. Uh, yes, yeah, so you strawberry. can play with different savory flavors also, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And and it's it's cool because then even the meringue can be uh, like a seasonal seasonal thing. So. Um, yeah, that's a cool one. And then I was just looking at the the Noma, it, what we wrote down as Noma brownies. When I started at Noma, it was still, um, they had a contract with the house. It's in a warehouse, basically, and, and there's offices and there's an art gallery and stuff. So they, as part of their lease agreement, they had to have a cafe uh, running out of Noma uh, in the daytime. So we had to serve, like, uh, sandwiches and something sweet as the contract so I made up something that uh, would be easy to serve so literally be plating the you know dish for a Michelin inspector and make a ham sandwich and serve a <laughs> brownie at the same time it's pretty, this would be it's pretty, pretty the, the beer we're drinking would be pretty good with the Noma brownies I, <laughs> so what beer is this Yeppi? this is one of mine uh, it's a cold imperial biscotti break which is it's an imperial porter at 11.5% made with vanilla almond and coffee to kind of imitate um, 
uh, a biscotti. And this is actually bourbon barrel aged, so it has even the, the barrel aged twist to it. It's very, you know, very one nice. thing about the book, what, what I really like is that it's not. Uh, sometimes when I think of Lux, it's something of very like high fine dining, and but but on the flip side, you have these really simple. You know, dishes. So well, this the, one, well, this one is good too. The the radishes with the sorrel dip, and that's an example of something that we've done both at the bar and at Luxus. So I, I want there to be a lot of crossover um, between the two the two things, and 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 not for you know the beer people not to be intimidated, as you say, to go there or, or vice versa. What we're actually going to start doing is do a lot more. Um, we did sixty people last night for the beer, uh, beer food and beer uh, release party. And we're going to start doing similar with invite different brewers, so maybe Yepe and one other tired hand, something to do four courses. I think you're so, right. When, when I'm at Taurus in the front, I, I, I feel like that it, the whole thing should be a dining room, yeah, too, you know? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's such great food and the, and the atmosphere is really conducive. I, when I'm there, I want to get food yeah. as well as beer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, I just want to maybe push that bit stronger, uh, stronger in. in so that's this is Kat Walensky from Ale Street News, and she's sitting in covering the the launch of the book. Hi. And this is like this is kind of the launch, I guess. We're like one of your first interviews, so yeah. you can say that. <laughs> but you know, you've been to tour, so you know, what's your impression of it? You know, yeah, as I was a actually just going to ask something along the same vein about how how much does what you serve in the restaurant overlap with what you serve in the bar? Well, it, in the season, the good example of the fiddleheads. We have it as one of the snacks uh, in Luxus and also on the bar, bar food menu. So there's there's sort of a base of what we do at the at Torst, and then we add in seasonal things. Like when the radishes start to come out in the next few weeks, we'll put that on on both in both venues, basically. So, oh, okay. Yeah, there's there's a crossover, and not different technique. You know, just the same the same presentation and everything. Oh. So yeah. So that that's sort of based on seasons more than anything. I mean, it's definitely two different menus. Um, you know, Luxus is a, it's a sit-down restaurant right. with you know, twelve Several courses, courses and uh, Charles is a, is, a, is a bar menu. But there's definitely a lot of similarities in terms of flavors and how the, the meal is cooked. You know, Daniel is not going to make a, a cheeseburger or something like that. You know, it's yeah. it all. You know, we we have a place and we want to showcase and we want to showcase it as one place, but. Still give a special experience if you go yeah. to the. And Daniel, you, you're there every night, aren't you? Yeah. If and I'm uh, Mondays, we're closed in uh, the restaurant. Yeah. And then you're you're kind of plating or in charge of plating every dish. Well, I mean, yeah, we we have uh, uh, myself and two cooks, so it's it's a small sort of galley kitchen, and uh, we all have to. Uh, yeah, be full, fully hands I think on. we're going to go over there afterwards. I don't know if you're going back, but I think we're I going. Sure am, yeah. That was the hook to get Kat come in. I said, Kat, we're going to go to Forest <laughs> Lux afterwards, you know? I haven't been to the restaurant yet. Oh, you should. It's very yeah. secretive. It's like... It is. That was the whole I've idea. I've never even seen it. I mean, when we... Uh, the, the, my, my initial idea was to open a beer bar, and I, Daniel wasn't in the plans because Daniel had other plans. He was going to move back to Denmark and everything, and, you know, we found a space and had a kitchen, and I just got this idea because Daniel and I had become friends and I got this idea of hey maybe I could ask this guy to open a restaurant so it is a secret restaurant and we want it to be like that and it's you know it doesn't have a name you know it has a name but there's no sign or anything and that's kind of 
the feeling that we wanted to give. It's kind of, you know, it's New York City. You want to do something unique, and it was, it was it's a fun way to and, do it. And on the weekends, you know, that's actually where it's busiest at the bar. So you almost have to, like, elbow your way through to, to get back. But, yeah, sure. it's just behind, like, the siding the side yeah, door. Yeah, I've seen it. I've yeah. been at the bar right near the entrance and yeah. kind of tried to peek in before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cheers, guys. And it's nice drinking the Cheers. beers with you, too. Yeah. Now, and, and also in the book, you talk a little bit about your, your philosophy about beer and how you got started. Um, one thing that I like, I'll just read some quotes. You, you, when you talk about the hop shortage, and you said, um, as if we had, you did uh, the Falco IPA. Yeah. You said, as, as if we had run out of orange paint and the guys mix yellow and red. Yeah, exactly. You know, what you're running short on, what, Cascade yeah, hops it, it, or something? It's a big issue right now, the hop shortage, uh, especially with all the new breweries opening up that make extremely hop-forward uh, beers. We actually have one of the most, right now, most famous breweries from Boston uh, coming to do a dinner at Luxus and a tap takeover at the end of June. It's a brewery called Trillium, which is based in Boston. And, I mean... They make mostly IPAs and paydales, and, you know, everybody does that, but I think they do it better than everybody. It's kind of crazy that you can open a brewery, and I think they opened like three years ago, and you can go in and take a style that everybody in this world is making and just make it better. I mean, that definitely tells you something. Um, and they have a big problem with the hop shortage because, you know, we all want to use the same cool hops, Galaxy, Mosaic, uh, all that, and, uh, you know, we just can't get it, so we have to figure something else out. And so um, that's awesome, man. Cheers. Yeah, I want to go to Trillium, too, you know. That's the thing. You've also become this place where all the, the great brewers are coming into town, and it's on the map. It used to only be like Blind Tiger was where everyone went. Yeah. I mean, and now I, there's so many launches at tours. Since, I have, since I'm in the industry and, you know, I'm making friends everywhere and collaborating with all these guys, you know, they, they all hear about Trust and Luxus out there. So they're like, oh, maybe we should do a chapter or, you know, it's cool to bring yeah. it into New York and, you know, be able to share it with all the beer geeks that hear about these things, but they can't get it. So it's, it's awesome. And since you started working with Yepe, Daniel, are you getting more into beer? Yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in it, and uh, it's just great to see what we. It, the taps change so much, you know. It's it's uh, it's great to um, you know sort of recognize which ones are coming in and out, and uh, I try try as much as I can. And I'm never, I don't think I'll ever be like home homebrew guy, but uh, <laughs> um, it's really cool to see but all Jim, the things that we get. Jimmy, coming to New York to open a beer bar, you know, you have guys like yourself to compete with, so you have to do it really good. <laughs> To make I know you guys, you guys are sports guys. <laughs> Again, if you really want to know more about Yeppe and Daniel, buy the book Food and Beer because it's, they pretty much say everything about them. And, and I, I learned things about you I never would have asked. Um, but for the sports guys, you are competitive, you know. I'm extremely competitive. Yeah, the way you said that to me. And I remember we had a Danish hot dog launch, I think it was last year, and you came by. And he looked at me and he said, Jimmy. I can't believe you have pint glasses. <laughs> and it's like, you know, sometimes I make, you know, maybe it is I have to make sacrifices, but I feel like you guys have, and I feel like you guys have actually stuck to your, like, your guns. And mm, right. I think yeah. that's why you guys are doing so well. So Thank you. congratulations. Yeah, guys. Thanks, man. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. Talk more about Food and Bear the Book on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We got the notorious Yeppe and Daniel. You know, Maggie wrote that on the script. She's like, the notorious. And it, it works for you guys. It does. So, yeah. I'll so you. You, you guys are competitive. You're sports guys. You're not, you're not uh, afraid to, to, to do more than don't like losing. Guy. You don't like losing. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah, yeah man. So go, I wanted to talk more about this book. So you got you got a section on fruity, section on funky. How, how did that come about? You, how did you guys decide to just break down so much of that book by by flavors? Um, I mean, we again we talked a lot about how to make the book before we actually started doing it. Um, again, we wanted to do something that hadn't been done before, and we want, you know we wanted to do different. Um, we also it was important for us to write a book that you know could target both you know normal people that are not you know beer nerds are working in the industry but also some yes because we wanted everybody to be able to use this book we felt that we were going to write a book that hasn't been written before in terms of beer and food and um, uh, by dividing it into flavors we made it more approachable to like the normal guy you know everybody can relate to sour everybody can relate to smoke but if we started talking about, you know, how to ferment the beer, blah, blah, we, we're going to lose a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, it was to make it more approachable. It's refreshing. Thank God you didn't start the first chapter, How to Make Beer. Exactly. And the no, second yeah. chapter, How to Make a Stock. I mean, so yeah. many cookbooks, they spend so much time on covering your pantry. It's like, How to Make a Stock. Come I, on. I think that. Yeah, <laughs> how to Make a Vinaigrette. <laughs> I think the publisher asked us briefly, uh, so could we talk about how to make beer and maybe put a beer recipe? And I was like, nope. nope. And they were like, okay. <laughs> next, <laughs> next subject. Yeah. 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 Well, it's also showing. I mean, so many other customers that we have know this stuff. You know, for them to see, oh, you recommended Saison DuPont or, or Rochefort. And, and, and some of them may know it, but some might say, wow, I actually find that interesting. And I like that you pick some Belgian beers, you know, as, as I don't know if you know you pick them, but it's funny because in the book it says you pick them. It's so. funny because I've been into craft beer for so long now. Um, and I've, you know, we, we, I've been through all the phases. You know, I started by drinking Belgian beers since I, you know, grew up in Denmark, and it was we could get them. And then I got into the whole, you know, crazy styles, crazy IPAs, you know, over the top beers, and it was a lot of fun for a long time. I actually find myself now going more and more back to the roots, and it's not that I'm tired of all the crazy stuff, and I do make a lot of it myself. But I, sometimes you just want to have examples of, of beers that have been around for so long and they're so well thought of and you know it's like you know with same thing with food it's fun sometimes to just go to an old school American steakhouse and eat a good steak with some you know half good vegetables but it just you know it, it makes you feel good and you know well, talk about recipes. You got lambic with a flank steak salad with pickled oyster mushrooms. Yeah, that's it's amazing. That's exactly what I want to eat tonight. Yeah, that one uh, that one sells very well. We pretty much kept that one on the menu from the start. Marinate the flank steak for a few days and then uh, cook it as you should, quite rare, and then uh, slice it through the salad. There's, I think, acidity um, always important in in all dishes. I, I think about the the levels of acidity also in in the sweet servings and um so and that's a good point too in terms of uh what we do with the beer pairings if it was a french kitchen with foie gras and truffles the beer would make zero sense you know you have to have a a kitchen that um you know lends itself to to what we're trying to do and i think the food that we make is is more on the you know tends to be on the acidic side and and bright you know bright flavors that's what that's what i'm going for yeah I want to say to our listeners that Daniel is a very interesting guy. We, we've had, you know, some tourist guys on before. We had, 
you know, the, the your bar crew yeah. with and, and Yepe, and uh, it's, we're happy that it's the first time that you're first here. First time here, yeah, yeah. But I know you're also doing service tonight, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we go back uh, seven thirty. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, we just do we do one seating uh, seven thirty. The other days, uh, Thursday to Sunday, we do two six thirty and nine. You know, and the book also talks about how you organize your kitchen. Hmm. I mean, just give us a little sense of that because you've got well, the kitchen in the basement. You've got guys prepping. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so the bar food goes from downstairs. Uh, I always say that you don't need a gym membership if you're uh, working the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> we got the stair stair masters, but uh, so the, the prep kitchen downstairs and the bar food goes from down there, and then the service kitchen is upstairs for Luxus. So, uh, as I said, th- myself and two others cooking Luxus. And then we have two other cooks downstairs at any one time, one doing the bar food and one doing uh, mise en place for, for the restaurant. Um, and in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of the, uh, what, what were we t- talking about? Just that you have like a, you have an interesting situation. You have a prep yeah. kitchen downstairs. Oh, yeah. And then the, <clears throat> the thing is that I trained as a savory chef, but uh, the restaurants I've worked at at the highest level have been in the pastry. So Fat Duck and Noma uh, as pastry chef. So there's no delineation between this guy's doing the this guy's the pastry cook and these guys are the other. So you know you, you it's just one it's just food in my opinion in terms of the modern approach to what kitchen means. So uh, you get butcher the lamb and then chop the onions and then make the ice cream and then you know do something else. So it, it's there's no uh, I think that's very important. There's there's always this. Uh, you know, people are scared about this the sweet things that, you know, has to be so precise and everything. But I, I tried to, from day one, break that down with, uh, with the young cooks, at least. Kat, you want to ask them another question? I do have a question. Uh, semi-unrelated, but how do you manage or balance the beers that you pair in terms of how many are evil twin beers and how many are other beers? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, it's not an evil twin bar. Uh, if it's it was, not. we would have called it an evil twin bar. It's an so, everything bar. Yeah. Um, but they come You know, play. since I'm involved, we like to put at least one evil twin on the, in the pairing. Uh, I mean, we also do have five or six out of 21 beers, uh, evil twin beers on tap. Um, you know, I I believe that I make some good beers that they fit into trust. I mean, if I, if I, if they aren't good enough, I, we wouldn't do it. So of course, yeah, the we always do. If good I mean, it's, it's kind of become a tradition that we put an evil twin beer with the snacks. Um, yeah, I have the bikini beer, which is a low alcohol uh, IPA that fits the snacks really well, and you know, it, they, it comes in a can. And to be able to, you know, people come in and sit down and they get the first five or so servings, and you know, we just put a can in front of them and say, hey, the, you know. It's a fine dining restaurant. We got the Michelin star, but we also, you know, we are in Brooklyn behind the beer bar. It's not pretentious, you know. We wanted to, you know, take it down to to a level that we can relate to because we are not pretentious people, you know. So to be able to do that and put a can in front of them and say, hey, here's your beer with the first five servings. It's kind of it's kind of fun, and the beer actually matches the food. Really good. And what's the last beer that you poured for us? Because I know you have a lot of relationships with like yeah, Westbrook and South Carolina. That's a Westbrook. Uh, it's a barrel eight, uh, flaming red, uh, old, old So it's like an old, uh, old uh, Belgian style beer that they have put in barrels for a couple of years, actually. Um, yeah, I do a lot of Westbrook. I've been brewing there for almost five years now. That's where we do a lot of a uh, lot of new beers and everything. Um, I have a very cl- close relationship to them and. You know they make awesome beers themselves, also. So, 
Yeah, and, and just about brewing, I know you work with Westbrook and, and Two Roads, and you have special relationships. I did want to bring this up because, you know, I feel like for our friends, we say if they're not, they don't have a brewery, we say they're a gypsy brewery. And then when you say there's people that you're not so fond of, you call them contract. But you came out in the book and you said that you, you are a contract brewer. Yeah, I mean, the gypsy brewing, the gypsy brewing term. Which is refreshing. Yeah, it's kind of a, the gypsy brewing term is kind of like a way to uh, idealize what we're doing. You know, at the end of the day, what we do is we use someone else's brewery. You know, can you call it a gypsy brewer? I mean, I do 98% of my production at two different breweries. It's not very gypsy-ish. I still travel a lot. I Just within the last five years, I've been I brewed in more than 20 different countries. So I still do it, but the main part of our production is, um, is definitely just, you know, like everybody else, we just don't own the brewery, so it is a contract. You know? well, it's, it's another reason to get this book, Food and Beer, because I, I, I like the frank conversation you had about it, because we, we've always done that. It's like it's like idolizing or, you know, oh, yeah, you're a gypsy brewer because you're cool, and then, you know, you're, you're not in your contract, and we've had conversations about it. Yeah. But I like what Two Roads done, too. I mean, it seems like they've set up to, to let other brewers like yourself Make their beer. Exactly. I mean, it's good for me and it's good for Two Roads. Two Roads built a, brewery, a massive brewery and they've been growing like crazy. And they wouldn't have been able to do that if it didn't brew for other people because you can't build a brand that fast. Uh, I think that's third year they did like 125,000 barrels or something like that. It's insane. Um, and it's, you know, it's helping them to grow their business, it's helping me to grow my business. So it's good for everybody. I, you know, there's been some negativity around the whole contract thing, but at the end of the day, why uh, why do we all why should we all go out and build a brewery and spend a lot of resources and a lot of energy on building something when you know we can all use the same system pretty much? I mean, it's, that, that's a, it's like a community oven in it the is, old days. It right? is yeah. in the old days. Um, now I'm going to change the conversation. You can go off book. Um, just tell us a favorite beer and food pairing that, that comes to mind for, for each of you. Mm. I'll tell you mine. Garrett Oliver in one of his books, Brewmasters, it, it's a classic pairing. It's like barley wine and stilton blue cheese, and it's kind of like the 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 salt of the of the cheese balances out the barley wine. So that's my that's one of the that's most, my I think that's one of the most classic one. ones. Yeah, <laughs> I got that one first. I so, mean, I, one that I really like, and it's it's a very simple pairing in many ways, but it's just it just works extremely well. It's a uh, you know, barbecue and, and a smoked beer because, you know, we t- you talked about earlier today also the contrast and the complementary thing. And this is two flavors. These are two flavors that just contrast each other so well. You have the smoky food and you pair it with, you know, if it's sm- you don't want a over-the-top smoky beer, but like a smoky lager, like a Sincala, a Hillis or whatever it's called. Um, or like your, your cowboy. Oh, the cowboy. The yeah, cowboy I think it's, just, I like a lot. it's yeah. just so fun to sit there and eat this barbecue and drink this refreshing beer that had this kind of... Uh, slight smoky uh, smoky flavor to it and it's also one of the pairings where I think it would be very hard to find a wine that can do the same thing because you know yeah you get a little smokiness from a couple of, you know it's a Grenache or something that has a little smokiness but, like Rioja you know? yeah but it's some you know it's it's hard to find something that has the same kind of uh, flavor profile so I like that one a lot the the one thing we do every year is the Italian prune plums we salt them and sort of make like a western umimboshi thing so Salted plums we do either with duck or squab, and uh, the beer we always pair with it is the lover beer, the beer brunia with the plums. So that's another example of a, a comparative, similar style thing. That uh, and and that style, the sour ales in the oak barrels, is uh, something that you know is a good entry point for people who are questioning whether you know 
food with beer is a good. So you, you said know, you, you use salt fruit. Yeah, the salted. Uh, I, I saw it in the book, and I didn't quite understand that. Yeah, you just take the plums, take the pit out, um, wash them, take the pit out, and then by weight you uh, do eight uh, percent coarse salt, and then it's just stable in the in the fridge to you know lightly ferment until you're ready to uh, to do, make a puree out of it. Wow, Cat, yeah. do you have a favorite food and beer pairing? Can be anything. Can I give a cooking with beer pairing sure. instead of pairing pairing? I love making IPA hummus. Just uh, with the liquid, like still including lemon, olive oil, but instead of water, an IPA. The other day I made one with uh, some half acre Vallejo. I think that's going to be on the menu at Taurus next week. <laughs> it should be. It's so easy. Like you said, it's a very entry level, easy thing to do, and right. uh, it's delicious. It's cool. That's great. I'm really impressed with this Westbrook beer. It's good. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when, and, and will you tell us a little bit about one, one last thing? Um, you know, you talked about things like you were looking for the hidden value of the overlooked. That's That was something that was in your book. You guys want to go off on that before we wrap it up? Um, Sounds like a Daniel thing. Right? <laughs> hidden value. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we basically we said it. It's like you can go into a fine dining restaurant, have a cocktail, have a have a glass of wine. We're, we're trying to bring into the conversation of fine dining with beer. It, it, it's a why not thing. You know what? Uh, we're, that's what we're trying to question and, and bring to the forefront. We are definitely not trying to tell the world that wine is not a good thing. I mean, we absolutely love wine, and wine is very good with food, but beer is equally good, and we equally love beer, and it's such an overlooked thing in fine dining, uh, and that's what we want to show. We're not trying to tell people, oh, you should drink beer instead of wine, but you should maybe every second time you should drink a beer instead of wine. Yeah. And the last thing, hot dogs on the menu. So we know in Denmark yeah. they have street dogs, and there's a snap to them. The poser, how oh, do you yeah. say? Poser. It's yeah. a road road and poser. I love road road. You don't yeah. want to do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I just made a faux pas. So you can't mix rye bread with. But you know, tell us briefly for you with the role of hot dog in, in, in Danish street food, and then what you might have done with it at tours. So I mean, the, hot yeah, dogs hot dog on the menu, man. Hot dog is a big. Big part of, I mean, you can call it our hamburger, you know, where, where Americans would eat a burger, we would eat a hot dog. It's just a very, very big thing in Denmark. We grew up on eating hot dogs, and I actually think that we have the best hot, best hot dogs in the, the world. In they are really good. I, they are really, I, really good. I, I ate it a lot in Denmark, and I, I'm not a big hot dog fan at all, but they're super good. The, all the, the toppings. You, the, I mean, the, it's always a conversation with the Germans, you know. They like to say that they have the best sausages. I don't think it's true. I actually think the Danish do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to give a plug. Next week, Memorial Day weekend, May 29th, uh, check out cookoutnyc.com. We're in Manhattan on 23rd Street. We're doing an outdoor party on the river with the uh, Copenhagen Street Dog folks. They're, oh, they're cool. doing a, a hot dog topping championship, and we've got some beers and things. But cookoutnyc.com. Cool. Guys, thanks so much for, for coming on. Anything yeah. else you want to say? You have a, a book tour going on, or just we should go to tours? Yeah, yeah. I mean, come to tours and listen, of course. <laughs> but uh, we're going to Toronto soon. We're going to Boston, D.C., and uh, we're going down to Yepes Good Buddies at Edmonds. Uh, Charleston, and, uh, South Carolina. Are, are you going to have a, a, a dinner there? Too, yeah, we do. Just, yeah. It's basically three dinners, and then in Toronto, just a signing and stuff. So, it's, it's, and how can we follow you guys? Which website? Uh, website? Are we or Facebook? Instagram? I think it's, that's what you do. Yeah. Trust NYC, Trust NYC and Luxus NYC and yeah. Evil Twin Brewing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a lot of, lot so of, lot of Toronto, things to say. Charleston, and what's the other one? <laughs> 
Toronto, uh, Char- Charleston, Boston, and Boston. DC. Yeah, man, yeah. you guys, those guys are lucky that you're going to come visit them. <laughs> Thank you. You guys are really great, man. I love yeah. that book, Food and Beer. It's it's really going to go places with people. I think a lot of people are going to change their pub menus, start copying <laughs> your dishes. I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors, helped bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Yepi, Daniel, and Kat for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and our engineer David Tadashore. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. All right. Woo, Jimmy. Yeah, man. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.